kind of the, the theme of today, the question is, uh, what am I doing this for? Have you ever asked that question? Have you ever been in the middle of something and you're like, what, in, what on earth am I working so hard for or tired for or anything like that? For me, I'm, I've been in uh, ministry uh, for a long time. And so this question makes me think of summer camp. It makes me think of taking teenagers for a week to, to, to summer camp and you're up at midnight drinking a Mountain Dew and eating Cheetos. Um, you're with middle schoolers who just smell and put on too much Axe cologne. Uh, you are next to some old guy who you don't even know who's snoring like crazy, and you're like trying to poke him, saying, hey, dude, I can't even, can't even sleep. I remember one time, uh, it was my first time going to summer camp, and I'm in charge. I'm leading all the kids, we, you know, and so, okay, great. We're out of the bus, and everyone's going crazy. We're having fun. And within about 10 minutes, they said, hey, Joey just took all of his meds for the week. Uh, I'm like, are you, what? what? And they're like, yeah, I just took them all. I'm like, great. You know, I'm, I've just killed a kid in the first 15 minutes of camp. I'm on the emergency hotline to dad, and fortunately, dad said, it's okay. He's going to be okay. Um, it's, you know, it's not an emergency. In fact, he's going to be real calm throughout the rest of the week. I said, praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Um, we'll find more of those meds if we need them uh, later. It's like, what am, I, what am I doing this for? But then you, you, you have that one conversation or, or that one time of worship where it just, it just cuts right to your soul. And you're like, this is, this is why I came. This is this was why I'm doing all of this stuff. And you're seeing God moments. You're seeing God sightings, not only in your life, but you're seeing God work in other people's lives. And it's a beautiful thing. Um, most churches, one of the problems that I have with the local church, one of the things I struggle with is most churches are designed for church people, for insiders. And every church has a natural drift, no matter how it starts, has a natural drift towards a, being a church for church people. So, you know, if you're, you're the, the, the church person growing up, like, you, you know where to park, you know the songs, you, you know how to check your kids in. Some of us old school, like, we got the, the salty uh, uh, cassette tape like ready to rock and roll. We know McGee and me and those sorts of things, like I'm aging myself, all right? We, we know where people sit. This is my seat, right? You don't sit in, in my seat. Why? Because we are, you, you can say it, I am a church people, church person. Some of you are like, ah, I don't, I don't want to be, be like that. But we, we are... Um, Comfortable because we kind of know the routine. Now, some of you might be here and say, I'm not a church person. And, it's, and I'm glad you're here. It's a little bit maybe uncomfortable because I didn't know the words to Amazing Grace. And maybe I should because I'm not a church person and all that sort of stuff. And, and this is where I didn't really think about this because I am a church person, born and raised. But I, it didn't really click or I didn't really struggle with this until I invited some friends 
to church who were not church people. And all of a sudden, it's kind of like, wait a minute, what's the preacher preaching on? <laughs> Is it going to be safe for them to be there? Who's going to be up on stage? And in fact, you know, when we have people greeting, I would like this person and this person, and you right there, whenever, whenever my friend comes, could you just kind of like go back to that back corner because I don't want them to see you? Like you just want to... All right, I'll go with this until Rendell can, can fix it. But um, all that to say, I, I w- had invited people. By the way, welcome Freedom Online Church family. Can we just give a round of applause and a yell for them? Hello, Dakota, I see you. Austin, Lynette, thank you guys for joining. We got a lot of ch- uh, church family that join us online, and, and, and I, I'm, ex- I'm excited. Anna, I see you too. Thank you for joining in today. Jump in the conversation. We're going to have a lot of these uh, uh, I think a good conversation um, online and in person today too. Um, now, I would invite people who were not church people, and all of a sudden I kind of see like, oh my gosh, the church that I love, and I love my church, but it's primarily designed for church people. And so the problem is that if that sticks for a while for church, and I'm going to put Freedom Church into this category as well, because every church has this natural tendency to drift towards insiders. Let's make us comfortable, okay? Over time, what that can communicate is that church is for church people. And that because church is for church people, this thing called Christianity that we're so excited about that they might be interested in, Christianity is only for church people. Which means this Jesus, who we love and we worship and we follow, I guess maybe he only came for church people. Now, I know you and I know me. We know one of the first verses we memorized in church was John 3.16, for God so loved the world. Yeah, you know it. You know it. All right, but we would say, I don't believe that the church is for church people. It's for everyone. Like Jesus, what we read about Zacchaeus, for those who got here on time, just a little pastor punch in there. Um, Zacchaeus, Jesus said, um, I came to seek and save those who are lost. Not the ones who, who know all the right songs and who won Bible sword drill competitions and those sorts of things. That's nothing bad with that. But he came for everyone. And so if we're not careful, we'll create environments that are just for us, that just make us comfortable. And Jesus, I think, wants to push the boundaries of the church. And that's what we've been talking about in this series, and we're going to cap it off today. Now, good news. This tension isn't new with us. Our generation, Freedom Church, church in America, church in our world, we've, we're not the first ones to wrestle with this. In fact, every church has wrestled with this, even the very first church. All right, so if you have your Bibles with me, we're going to turn to Acts chapter 15. 
in Acts chapter 15, the church is, I don't know, maybe a decade or so old. It's years into this thing, still new, still fresh, still eyewitnesses that saw, that lived with Jesus, saw what he did, saw him die, and, and saw him alive again. So they're living out this mission that we've been talking about. But now this question comes up, who's the church for? Who's it for? And so they call a business meeting. All right, basically they have the first business meeting in Acts chapter 15. You might have this picture of, of the first church and like, oh, it's perfect and it's grand. And we read in Acts chapter 2 how they were serving everybody and, and giving and sharing. And they were so generous and loving and the church was growing daily. And I guess it was just perfect. Well, flip over to chapter 5 and chapter 6 and it turns into a, a normal church where they're fighting and, and just getting into it. And they have a business meeting. Now, Where's my business meeting people at? Who's ever been to a church business meeting? Okay, church business meetings are only fun when there is a a fight. Yeah, I heard you guys. All right, it's free. Uh, you, there's something big on the docket. You got it. You know, it's like, oh my gosh, here we go. And 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 so everybody shows up. You want to get there early, get a front row seat. I mean, if you haven't seen one deacon cuss at another deacon in front of a church body, you're, you're missing out on life. All right. I, I, I'm, I'm joking, but it's not. Anyway, business meetings are kind of why we don't go to church. But um, they're going to have a business meeting. And they're going to try to establish some house rules. Okay? Now, you probably grew up in your own house with, with some house rules. Like, there's no running in the... Huh? Huh? There's no running in the... Anywhere, house, house, all right, all right. If you don't have something nice to say, don't say anything at all, right, right, right. Or in this house, we don't say. Yeah, I know. I was gonna see if I get someone to cuss and. <laughs> I can't do that. I can't do that. I apologize. I apologize. Now we don't say shut up, right? That's that's our house. We don't say shut up. Um, house rules. Now, just a side note too. Sorry, I'm joking, and I'll get to it. Um, <laughs> who are my, I want to know how you deal with rules. Who are the people when your parents, when your parents said, and teenagers, you can participate in this too. Um, when your parents said, here's what the rule is, you know, jump, your, your response was how high? Okay, all right. All right. How about, how about my other people uh, who said, when your parents said, here's the rule, and you just did the opposite of whatever they said. All right, these are my people, the rebellious people. All right, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> okay, they're gonna have a, they're gonna have a business meeting starting in verse one of of fifteen. It says while uh, Paul and Barnabas were at Antioch of Syria, some men. Sorry, Rendell, can I go back on the other one? Turn it off and on. Okay. It's not it's not wanting to uh, flip off. Okay. All right. That's part of it. Probably because I dropped it earlier today. Um, okay. Let, join me in, in 15.1. It says, while Paul and Barnabas were at Antioch of Syria, some men from Judea arrived and began to teach the believers, unless you're circumcised as required by the law of Moses, you cannot be saved. Okay. So they're putting down this thing saying, you got to be circumcised in order to get saved. Now, I don't know about your church growing up, but I'm pretty sure membership did not require surgery, all right? And this is a pretty intense deal, all right? So they're having new, new members 
classes, and I'm, I'm thinking it's probably mainly women that are in the new members class here. Uh, it's like, uh, where's, where's Gary at? I thought he was going to come with you. And Gary's like, ah, I kind of got to kind of rethink this thing. I'm, I'm not, you know, it's a little bit, uh. all right. So they are saying this is what has to be done. Paul and Barnabas disagreed with them, arguing vehemently, all right? So here's the fight. This is the debate. This is what they're going to go after. They're having a a, a church fight. This one's theological, and it has importance for whatever the church is going to establish at, you know, Paul and Barnabas. Are you wrong? Are you preaching a wrong gospel, or are these guys, and we got to nail this down. Now, typically, our church fights aren't theological so much. Sometimes they are, but pretty much the ones that you and I have grown to be like, where I'm going to distance myself from the church or where we see things go from just bad to worse, it's personality-driven, all right? I don't like that pastor. I've, I've known as a pastor and a preacher, it's pretty common that 10 to 20 percent of people in the audience don't really like me, and that's, that's just kind of the, the norm, and so I'm kind of looking for who that might be. But um, no, uh, it, it, just, it just is. And so sometimes it's personality-driven. Um, sometimes it's power-driven. It's control. It's power. It's status. Who gets to make the rules? Who are the they? Sometimes it's just preference, and that's the one that really turns us off, right? Where I don't like the music, I don't the, the style, or we just make up rules about dancing and uh, card games and all this sort of stuff that you're like, what is, where are all these rules coming from? Right, this one's theological. And so finally, the church decided to send Paul and Barnabas to Jerusalem, accompanied by some local believers, to talk to the apostles and elders about this question. So when they arrived in Jerusalem, Paul and Barnabas were welcomed by the whole church, including the apostles and elders. So Antioch's this local church doing its own thing. Jerusalem has all the guys who were the disciples who were eyewitnesses with, walking with Jesus. So they're going to them and say, hey, what did Jesus say about this? All right, so Paul and Barnabas re- reported everything God had done through them. And then some believers who belonged to the sect of the Pharisees stood up and insisted, here's the, here's the dispute again, the Gentile converts, the non-Jewish people, all right, the outsiders, the people who are not like us need to become like us. They must be circumcised and required to follow the law of Moses. Basically, you got to become a Jew before you can become a Christian. All right, so this is the argument. Now, a couple things that I want to point out here. It says the Pharisees. And so if you don't know church history and stuff, that's fine. Let me just kind of break this down for you. The Pharisees were the religious leaders of the Jews. These were the guys who were at the top that people listened to The Pharisees were the ones who were behind the whole thing to get Jesus killed. Like Jesus was healing people. Jesus claimed to be the Messiah, the one, and the Pharisees, for a whole host of reasons, said, no, you're not, and you're going to die for that. And they were successful in their mission, except when they saw Jesus alive three days later. And then I think Bob elbowed Steve and said, I think we might have got that one wrong. Now, if you're a skeptic of Christianity, you got you to, I joke, but you got to take that seriously because now the guys who killed Jesus are saying we're following him. 
I always say Christianity is not this some mythical thing. It was based on events. Something had to have happened for those guys who executed Jesus to now say, I'm going to make him my Lord and Savior. Now, to their, now I want to kind of flip this here a little bit. They didn't have the Bible. To their credit, the Bible wasn't written yet. So certainly the stories are there. The, 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 this is a, a, a culture, a society, unlike ours, but they, it is steeped in oral tradition. So here's the story, and we're going to pass it down from generation to generation. There might have been passages of Scripture written down, but it hasn't really been formalized yet. There is no Bible. There is no New Testament. But they are putting this thing together. They know what the stories are there. The theology is there, just not written down yet. We don't have Romans yet. We don't have Galatians yet. Okay, so they're still trying to figure this out. All these Pharisees have known is the Old Testament, Jewish laws and traditions. So I can give them a little bit of credit to say, hey, this is all I've ever known. This is what I'm comfortable with. They need to be like one of us. And so now we're here to settle this debate. They don't understand law and grace. I guess that's what I'm trying to say. Jesus, it says in John 1, says he came full of truth and he came full of grace. And that's a mess if you think about it, because most of us lean one way or the other. We're all truth and no grace, or all grace and no truth, and neither one's correct. Jesus came full of both. And in the middle is this blend of like, I don't know exactly how to deal with that sort of stuff. Grace is messy. Like God is, is bad at math. Who in, here, who, who in here would just say, I'm bad at math? I'm bad at math. I'm bad. Okay, okay, okay. God's with you because grace doesn't add up. We, we look at our sin and our mistakes or somebody else's, and we're like, they got to pay. They got, somebody owes because they messed up, right? And God just said, boom, grace. I've cleared it all. I've paid it all. No work to be done. And these guys don't quite understand that. You got to do something to get right with God. And, and Paul and Barnabas were preaching grace. Now, here comes the defense. That was the debate. That's the setup. Here's the defense. At the meeting, after a long discussion, Peter, Jesus' right-hand man, best friend, who's, now, who's leading in the church, stands up and addresses these guys. He's going to give us some insight. He says, brothers, you all know that God chose me from among you some time ago to preach. Now, I want to pause right there because I'm going to just take a quick rabbit trail. God chose me. Can you say that with me? God chose me. You're not saying it like you believe it. I'm not believing it. God chose me. One more time. God chose me. You did nothing to deserve it. You did nothing. To... He chose you and called you, not just Peter, but you in this room. You are a royal priesthood, it says in Scripture. You are a masterpiece. He saw you in the womb, and He had works planned for you before you were even born. He knows your name. He loves you. You have value. You have purpose. So when I read that today, I'm like, that has nothing to do with my message. But I want you to know this is who God thinks of you. He likes you. He is fond of you. He, he wants to see you succeed and whatever's calling you to stay down and stay stuck. And I don't know if God can or can God use me. I don't know if I belong. 
the church has had a, a terrible PR problem to say, you belong. You are welcome here. I have been waiting for you. Chosen one. Like the prodigal son who just squandered everything. Coming back saying, I'm just going to beg to just even be a slave. And we see that the father was longing for him to come back. Waiting for him. You're here today, maybe just here to that message that you are chosen and God's been waiting for you to come back. All right, back, back into the business meeting, back into the fight. I've been called to preach to the Gentiles so that they could hear the good news and believe. God knows people's hearts. He knows yours too. He reads it like a book. He confirmed that he accepts Gentiles by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did. He made no distinction between us and them for he cleansed their hearts through faith. Now, this is a shock He said, there's no distinction between Jews and Gentiles. And these guys, this is going to hit home because God's chosen people was always the nation of Israel. This threatens the nation of Israel. Now, I know in our day that's like so hard to relate how nationalism can affect the church world. All right? I'm sorry. I'm going to poke a little bit. Christian nationalism. That Christianity needs America. Uh Uh-uh. America needs Christianity, needs Jesus, not the other way around. I am going to shoot off as many fireworks on 4th of July because I love America. I'm a patriot. I love it. But I'm not dependent on America surviving in order for Christianity to thrive. I want it to. Believe me. Don't get me wrong. But at the same time, this this was a threat to the power This was a threat to the system. What about Israel now? Because it's open to everybody. What do we do? Peter just says there's no distinction between them and us. This thing is for everybody. Everybody. All nations. We're going to transcend borders here. We're going to go through boundaries here. Think of that worst person that you can think of that doesn't deserve it, and Jesus came for them, Zacchaeus. He came for them. So why are you now challenging God by burdening these Gentile believers with a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors are able to bear? In fact, it kind of is saying, hey, hypocrites. Bob, Steve, I saw you in the temple last week. You had like two goats with you trying to sacrifice them. Like, we can't even hold up to these standards. Why are you going to put that load on them? Gary's still back in the car, wondering if he's going to even make it into this thing. He's nervous. He can't do it. We can't. We believe. This is, this is oh, take-home verse right here, highlighter verse. We believe we are all saved the same way by that undeserved, amazing grace of the Lord Jesus. So here comes the decision. James, he comes up and he starts to share James, this is another thing. If you're a skeptic of Christianity, you've got to take this into fact. James, who also wrote the uh, book of James, uh, church people, do you know who James is? James is the brother of who? Jesus, yeah. There's a lot of James, but this one is James, the brother of Jesus. What we know about James and his brothers and sisters, they did not follow Jesus while Jesus was alive doing his earthly ministry. 
Like, okay, he's doing great and wonderful things, but like we grew up with him and we're not, eh, I don't know that he's really God and they didn't follow him. But now James is the leader in the church. James, if you read the book of James, the very first verses, this is James, the slave of Jesus. Now, what would it take for your brother or sister to convince you that they were God? And you're going to be a slave to them. Like, I laugh at that. But again, if you're skeptical of Christianity, you really have to wrestle with that. What's going on here? Again, I think something happened. I think James saw. I think he, he saw Jesus dead. I think he saw him alive and said, I think I might have got that wrong. I think he really is who he claimed to be. And now he's sold out to him, claiming even to be a slave of his. So James addresses the crowd. He's going to provide the final decision here. We've had the debate. We've had the uh, defense. And now the decision. And so it is my judgment that we should not make it difficult. Say those three words with me or four words. We should not make it difficult. One more time. Not make it difficult. That's a take home for today. We should not make it difficult for those Gentiles who are turning to God. Church is for everyone, not just for church people. And the question I want to ask us today is, what are we doing to make it more difficult? And to get a little bit more personal, what am I doing to make it more difficult? What are you doing that makes it more difficult for people to see Jesus? The only stumbling block that I can see that the church is allowed to give for people coming to salvation in Jesus is the cross, is Jesus himself. Who do you say that I am, Peter? You are Christ. You are the Messiah. You are the one. You are the Lord and Savior. People are going to stumble over that, and I'm, I'm okay with that. But all the other things, all the other things, we're going to do our best to not make that the thing. And that's, that is what James is saying. In fact, he goes on. He's, like, it's, it's almost so simple. It's crystal clear. And sometimes that's the hardest thing are the clear things in Scripture. He's like, don't make it difficult for these guys. Let's don't just strap on 613 laws from the Old Testament that we can't even do. But he does tell them to do something. And this is, I want to hit this. Instead, we should write and tell them to abstain from eating foods offered to the idols. So these new converts... These new Gentiles who are interested in Christianity, this is what we want them to do. Abstain from eating food offered to idols, from sexual immorality, from eating meat from strangled animals, and from consuming blood. For the law of Moses has been preached in Jewish synagogues in every city on the Sabbath for many generations. Now, this can be confusing um, if you're looking at this like, oh, well, do we got to do that too? Because I'm not Jewish, right? Am I held to that? What is he saying here? He's basically, this is a message of unity. This is a message of respect. He's saying, hey, listen, he flips the conversation. Gentile believers, listen, you're going you're gonna to come into this Christianity. We're not going to strap on all these laws that you have to do, but I want you to understand something. You have many Jewish believers who are Christians now who follow very strict dietary laws. So when you come in, can you please be sensitive to that? 
can you please see that this is how they're living their life? And let's be respectful of that. Like, let's find some sort of compromise here to where we're not going to just purposely offend those who we're now doing life together with. So I want you to understand these sorts of things, and let's have unity. John 17 starts creeping up where Jesus prays. He's like, I pray that they are one like we are one, so that the world may know. And so James is saying, let's just be respectful of one another. All right? So in, in 2022, it's like, hey, we're going to have people who are mask, no mask. We're going to have people who are vaccine, no vaccine. We're going to have people Republican. We're going to be Democrat. In five years from now, it's going to be something different. And the same message would be unity. Listen, we're going to have differing views on this. You're going to have friends who are just polar opposite of you. Can we just be respectful of one another rather than fight about it? Let's love one another through this. It's more important things to go through. So the messengers went at once back to Antioch. They were called a great general meeting of the believers, and they delivered the message. And there was great joy throughout the church. And then the mic break translation, I, I added, especially for Gary. And that day, as they read this encouraging message, somehow the church... I kind of scratch my head sometimes because we get this wrong. We always get this wrong. We get it right, and then we get it wrong. You look through the history of the church, Crusades, Spanish Inquisition, Reformation comes, and it's like, okay, great, people are getting into the Bible, and then you see people getting executed for, for translating the Bible into English and trying to make it accessible to other people. And, he, and even in today's world, I mean, we, we'll argue over, it was drums. You know, you can't have a drum on stage with the music, and how, how, how dare you? We, we, we are, you know, uh, clothing and different things. I mean, you name it, we've argued about it, right? We get, we, we get so off track on this. Right now, for me, a lot of it, it's, it's social media. Can you do church online? Is that even, is that even real? And, and even in the pandemic, I don't, you know, I, I, don't do, I don't do online church. I don't do Zoom. I don't, I don't do, I don't, what, what do you put out there that you don't do? I don't do that. I don't do that. That's not for me. And it, it may not be your, your preference, but I'm saying, what are we doing to make it difficult for people? Because I'm not in the business of, well, I don't do that, and I don't do that. And, I, and if I, I, I'm trying to reach people for Jesus. I'm, it's for everyone. And I'm not saying online has to be your cup of tea and everyone's deal, but I'm going to understand that a lot of the I don't do's, I start to do, I don't pastor. Did you know that? I don't pastor. I don't get in front of a crowd and preach, all right? I don't take kids on a youth group trip and, and do, I don't do any of that. I don't do, God, and then look at me now. I don't know what you don't do. It just might be something that you haven't let go to God yet. I don't, go to, I don't go to mission trips in Africa and, and you know, whatever that thing is, you know. I'm not saying God's going to make you do that. But we got to have open hearts, open minds, open hands with God because he might be doing something. William Carey, one of the father of uh, modern-day missions in 1786, was trying to give out his vision for, for missions and world missions. And uh, one of the guys in one of the meetings stood up and said, young man, William Carey, sit down. When God pleases to convert the heathen, he will do it without your aid or mine. We don't do that here. The church is always susceptible. Who is this for? Who is this for? So let's go ahead and stand. Let's go ahead and stand. I want to close it out. I want to ask a commitment from you in this season as a church and as, a, as an individual to ask this question, what am I doing 
to make it difficult. What am I doing that makes it difficult? Is it your, your, your social media posts? Is what you're posting about making it difficult for people to enter into this room? I guarantee you, you and I have somebody on our heart that we want to invite to church, that we want to invite to a connect group, but they're not church people. And, and we want them to feel welcome. We want them to feel like, I've been waiting for you. What if we were a church that when we came here, even if we, it wasn't the person that we invited, but we see someone and we saw them, you saw them, to say, ah, I've been waiting for you, chosen one. Don't say that to them. That would be really weird. (laughs) But do you get it? What are we doing this for? What'd you come here for? Who'd you come here for? I want a church that, that sees that it's for everybody. And everybody that comes in here has a story. Everybody that's in here says, I need Jesus to move in my life. And it's not my business to know everybody's business, but can I just see them for who they are and welcome them in? One of the best things you can do, one of the best things you can do is just when you are here, talk with people. You're not going to get into deep, deep conversation. Get here early. Talk with people. Stay a little late. Talk with people. Don't go to your best friend for that first conversation. Find someone new and say, I'm glad you came today. Remember their name. Maybe take them out to lunch this week. But see people. Zacchaeus, I see you, man. I'm coming to your house today. That's the community. That's what they were, that's what they were about. That's how they lived this thing out. And they changed the world. At Freedom, we're not perfect. We're not perfect, but we are definitely committed to figuring this thing out, to not make it difficult. Let's pray. Jesus. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to the message today. I hope you felt inspired to take your next step of faith with Jesus. Just a couple next steps that you can take coming out of this. One, leave a review or a comment or share this message. That really does spread the message further and faster when you do that. Secondly, if there's a next step that you need to take coming out of this, head on over to our website, click get involved and let us know exactly how you can take your next step. We would love to partner with you in that. And finally, if you have been impacted in a positive way through our ministries or your family has been impacted in a positive way through our ministries, go on over to our website and click give. If you want to partner with us financially, that would be huge in getting the message of Jesus out through our ministries. Thank you again for stopping by the podcast. Have a wonderful week. God bless.